Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization working for social change for the last 26 years. Think Again is broadcast from the 3CR studios on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're talking about Gaza, again and still. Indeed, we have to continue to talk about what is happening there, just wanting the slaughter to stop and so that it will never happen again. And that's also doing what we are committed to do at Borderlands and at Think Again. It's why we're here, really. Ever since the current Gaza crisis start, presumably, presumably started on the 7th of October last year, Jennifer and I have been trying to understand the rather unholy things going on in what many continue to still call the Holy Land. The, stor- the stories and news summaries we ha- hear or read via the main and the social media usually start with the atrocity committed by Hamas on the 7th of October. And it was an atrocity. <laughs> it, no doubt. The, ghoul, the ruling group in uh, Hamas, who is the ruling group in Palestinian Gaza, following, uh, uh, which then was followed by Israel defending itself, intending to eliminate Hamas, who are barbarians anyway. That's sort of the the official story. Yeah, no matter who who else is um, caught up in the attacks on Mm -hmm. Hamas. And in the process, more than 25,000 Gazans have been killed. So I'll say that again. It's it's almost incomprehensible. More than 25,000 Gazans have been killed and around 60,000, I believe, have been wounded. Mm with two-thirds of the housing and infrastructure in Gaza pretty much obliterated and levelled to the ground. Pretty much while we're all watching, because that is what's happening uh, when you look at the media. Mm. Usually, the atrocity committed by Hamas, killing more than 1,000 Israelis and taking over two and taking more than 200 hostages, that is usually presented as the start of the, of the issue or the process, as the event with which the entire violent altercation started, supposedly disrupting a status quo that is insistently presented as the normal situation, legally established, uh, relatively okay situation, even if not entirely peaceful. Yeah, so it was all okay up to that. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's correct. Presumably. And it's only the atrocity by Hamas is said to be what's undermining the so-called, what the West likes to call, the rules-based international order. Yeah, something also trotted out by those in the Anglosphere, notably by Australian government ministers, with the rules-based international order supposedly including the situation in Palestine and Israel before 
the atrocity committed by Hamas on the 7th of October, a situation which is often also summarized as Israel's right to exist. Yeah, so so collapsing the international rules-based order mm-hmm. with Israel's right, right to exist. Somehow That's those two things are collapsed. Exactly. Yeah, so... Uh, the case is closed. Yeah. yeah, it is clear who the evil party was, whose atrocity disrupted that rules-based idyll. Unfortunately for our Western and Australian political leaders, their rhetorical acrobatics seem to not really convince anyone anymore, if they ever did. Yeah, and yeah, there's a real credibility crisis, mm-hmm. certainly. And meanwhile... Uh, Australian citizens ask for at least a bit of balance in public commentary, including our residents Mm -hmm. uh, and citizens from Middle Eastern and North African uh, backgrounds. But I should say, including Jewish, many Jewish people here, Mm. many of whom are appalled at Mm. what the state of Israel is doing in their name. And we've actually had a couple of them on past programs Mm -hmm. over the last few months. That's right, and especially also... People of Palestinian descent. Well, they notice the lack of balance. Well, after all, they can demand some degree of understanding of why they needed to take refuge from what they consider to be their own lands and their country, and some understanding of why those still in Gaza are now living in tents, hundreds of thousands of them. Yeah. And in addition, of course, uh, we all have access to the visual footage Mm -hmm. Um, which is almost unwatchable, of what's really happening to innocent people on the ground mm-hmm. with um, direct testimony <laughs> from children. Yeah, and, and we see the deaths and injuries to innocent civilians and the lack of water and food and medical treatment and workable hospitals mm-hmm. and the lack of just having a place of safety uh, without fear of being bombed. And this footage can and does bypass our mainstream media uh, to the extent that even our mainstream media has been forced to acknowledge the travesty of what's happening, Um, especially with it being so compelling and, as I say, heart-wrenching. Yes, we have already offered Think Again listeners some insights into a more objective background to this conflict when we, as uh, Jennifer already intimated, we interviewed Jordi Silverstein in late October and Anthony Löwenstein in early December last year. But for many commentators, the Hamas atrocity remains the inexplicable and certainly unjustifiable cause of what has now become a war. A war that is supposedly justifiable because it's about the rules-based order, as we Mm. said before, about Israel's right of existence as a nation, even if they probably just went a bit too far, as as the mainstream narrative seems to go, just probably. And yes, Israel should get a bit more careful about their doings in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as they say, do more. They should do more to protect civilians. And the US has been saying that mm-hmm. when you'd think the right phrasing would be just stop killing people. <laughs> yeah, so against that backdrop of what is supposed to pass for analysis, we thought it would be a good time for all of us to have a better understanding 
of the historical background of what is now called the State of Israel, including the claims about the ancient rightfulness of its presence and occupation of all there is between sea and river, as they say, between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. Especially, we need a better understanding of the last hundred years of that history, just for us to develop a better, more balanced sense of how the Hamas atrocity really came about, how that atrocity was indeed not the beginning of the present mutual bloodshed and barbarities. Yeah, Jacques, and, but rather really a continuation of a conflict that's been simmering and boiling for a very long time. Indeed, for almost 150 years. I found a good summary of the ancient history of the Jewish people, the emergence of Zionism and the establishment of the State of Israel in the context of the last phase of Western colonial adventures, particularly by the British Empire, and extending to present-day Western imperialism, especially by the US. The summary is by Mark van der Pitter, journalist at a Belgian-Flemish De Wereld Morgen newspaper, which we regularly consult for this program. Yeah, and it's certainly helping me brush up on my Flemish shark it's reading. <laughs> Mark van der Pitter reminds us of the five issues we need to keep in mind when trying to understand Zionism and the Gaza war. To start with, Jewish people have lived in diaspora for centuries. Long before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 of the Common Era, about 3.5 million Jewish people were spread around Europe, which was then part of the Roman Empire, which only half a million living in Palestine itself. Their living conditions varied depending on the diaspora locations. In some places, Jewish people prospered and were part of the ruling uh, groups, while in others, they were part of the oppressed groups. Mm. The best-known example of this was Spain, where communities of the three monotheistic religions, Islam, Christianity and the Hebrew religion, lived harmoniously for centuries till the end of the 15th century, something which really would need a, an entire program to better explain. Mm. But that situation changed profoundly during the widespread economic crisis in the late 1800s, when Jews became the convenient people to blame for anything bad occurring in the lands by those in power wanting to deflect criticism. Yeah, a familiar ploy, a, a familiar story even today, mm -hmm. um, when we blame minority and marginalized groups That's for right. all the ills that are happening in society and the totally, economy. Totally, totally. Yeah. Colonialism has done that systemically, really, everywhere. Mm. Absolutely there. Divide and rule is still the way to govern in way too many places. A mixture of religious, particularly Christian, and political-emotional arguments were used to severely persecute Jewish people and communities, especially through the Eastern European pogroms, but also elsewhere. For example, the Dreyfus Affair in France at the end of the 1800s. Yeah, so um, Jacques, can you explain, for listeners who don't know, can mm. you explain what that's Well, about? the East European programs were really collective uh, collective programs by uh, the Tsarist, uh, Tsarist regime in uh, Russia and in other Eastern European countries where they basically wanted to eject Jewish people 
and, and the Dreyfus affair was uh, against a Jewish uh, individual member of the administration, a previous soldier, who was uh, accused of having passed on secrets uh, to the enemy, mm-hmm. uh, which was a total lie, but it was, a, a, again, a Jewish kind of a... Uh, uh, Focusing on the Jewish, on the Jewishness of Dreyfus and therefore Tsai. And, and with him being a, a prominent person, having That's risen right. to a prominent position, That's being right. a Jewish person and therefore a target. That's right. So uh, the reaction to this by known Jewish thinkers and activists was split ever since the mid-1800s and into the 1900s. Karl Marx and Moses Mendelssohn, both Jews, thought that the fight against persecution needed to occur locally. But Theodor Herzl, or Herzl, the founder of Zionism, he argued for flight and suggested that the problems of the Jewish people could only be resolved in their own state. Mm. Several countries or locations were thought about to create that state in South America and Africa. And Palestine, of course, too, because of the ancient historical and mythical connections as retold in the Tenach, or what Christians call in the Old Testament Palestine, mm. but yeah. so, so, so there was resistance from Jewish quarters. Of course, there to, was. To that. Yeah, deep resistance against Zionism and the Palestine Plan by Jew, for example, by Jewish reformist, socialist, and Orthodox sections, and that resistance is still there. Mm-hmm and by those groups who were well integrated in the various capitalist economies in Europe and elsewhere. Mm. Indeed, Zionism was only supported amongst a group of intellectuals and small middle-class business people. Between 1881, so, yeah? So I was just going to say, so just for listeners, for maybe some young listeners who don't know all the history, so Zionism is to do with setting up um, a, the state of Israel. State Go, of Israel going back to the Mount, mountain Zion, which became symbolic of that place and of the Jewish presence there. Mm-hmm. So between 1881 and 1925, almost four million Jews immigrated from the various nations in Europe. But interestingly... Only 1% of those opted to move to Palestine, barely 50,000 of them. So that's that's a really tiny proportion. So 4 million Jews emigrating from Europe Hmm. in the late 1800s and early 1900s. -hmm. So 4 million emigrating from Europe, Mm -hmm. I guess because of all the pogroms. That's right, that's right. uh, But only 1% opting to move to Palestine. Mm. It's it's a tiny proportion. So clearly the idea of a Jewish state was then a a pretty fringe idea Mm. and not necessarily that appealing. No, certainly not. Interestingly, the major support for the Zionist Palestine solution to the so-called, the solution to the so-called Jewish question came from the British imperialists. England wanted more control over the Near East especially against its competitor France, who also wanted that control. Think about the Suez Canal. And the Jewish state would become really helpful in that strategy of controlling that entire area. Yeah. So the Near East, just briefly, Mm. can you just say what area? Well, that's, you know, Israel and then Jordan and the kinds of close by. Also, Turkey is very often included in that group. Yeah, so it's Britain's Near East. We now refer (laughs) to it as the Middle East. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's right. right. And um, Mm. so 
um, with Palestine being close to the Suez Canal, um, that would have been a key factor too. That's right. Yeah? With, and that opened in 1869 69. and dramatically shortened the distance to Asia. That's right, yeah. from Europe to Asia. From Europe to Asia. Yeah. And oil a from, shortcut made. That's, it is, yeah. And oil from Iraq could be easily transported through the Mediterranean as well, f- through the Suez Canal. In addition, Britain was worried that the weakening Ottoman Empire could be replaced by a strong Arab nation or empire, which the British wanted to prevent. So a Jewish state would be rather convenient, and Britain had already started to prepare for such possibility in the 1830s by establishing a consulate in Jerusalem. Yeah, so so in brief, it was all about setting up a... a state of Israel or a Hmm. Zionist state, it was all about protecting British colonial interests. Absolutely. And in 1917, British Foreign Minister James Balfour wrote a letter via prominent Jewish banker Rothschild to the Zionist movement that England would be supportive of a national home for the Jewish people. Yeah, which was the famous Balfour Declaration. Yes, and I quote from that Balfour Declaration... His Majesty's Government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavour to facilitate the achievement of this subject. It be clearly understood that nothing shall be done which will prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. Yeah. End of quote. And we see how that last bit went, Shark. Certainly we do. On that note, let's go to some music. We have Babylon A Fall by Blue King Brown from their album Born Free.
You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855am on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're looking again at the long colonial history and legacy leading to the current crisis in Gaza and the devastating consequences for Palestinian people. Before the break we were talking about how the creation of the Zionist Jewish state was part of the imperial and colonial aspirations of the British Empire alongside the interests of globalizing capital. Indeed, Zionists even sought and found support about the German Nazis in 1930 and early 1940. Which is incredible, Shark, and Mm. I only recently heard about that. Yeah, in the book (laughs) The Secret Contacts Between Zionism and Nazi Germany, Klaus Polkin describes how, after the establishment of the Nazi regime, private cooperation between Nazis and Zionists was established to increase the inflow of German Jewish immigrants and capital to Palestine. The establishment of the State of Israel um, was a British colonial project, but also bolstered, at least for a time, by support from German Nazis. Mm, Yes, similar to the settler colonies in North America and indeed Australia. And all projects in settler colonialism are driven by the so-called elimination logic. The logic to make the indigenous populations as much as possible disappear. Herzl, Herzl, the initiator of Zionism, admitted to this in his own writings. And I guess he wouldn't say admitted, he, w- he just declared it in his own exactly, writings. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And of course, our own story in Australia demonstrates this so-called elimination logic uh, tragically well. Yes, New records keep being unearthed in Australia, revealing the exact same elimination logic here. And back to the State of Israel. In 1940, Joseph Weitz, from the Colonization Department of the Zionist World Organization, was rather clear about the goal. And I quote, It should be clear that there is no room in this land for both peoples. As the Arabs, Palestinians, leave the land, it will become large and extensive. There is no room for compromises. There is no other way than move the Palestinian Arabs from here to the neighboring lands, all of them, except probably those around Bethlehem, Nazareth and Old Jerusalem. Not a single village should remain, not a single Bedouin tribe. End of quote. And, and that's from, um, what, 1940, as you said, the Colonization mm. Department mm. of the Zionist World Organization. Yes. That's, that's pretty clear. Yes. Um, and um, an and imperative that we're seeing unfold right to this day. That's correct. In fact, Netanyahu's party, Likud, states in its foundational manifest, and I quote, the right to the land of Israel of the Jewish people is eternal, and unchallengeable. Between sea and Jordan River shall only exist Israeli sovereignty. Unquote. Mm. Mm. Then in 1948, which I guess a lot, a, um, a lot of people are more familiar with the history from 1948, um, which was the official establishment of the current state of Israel. What Pal- and and what occurred was what Palestinians call Nakba or the catastrophe involving massacres of the Palestinian population with 500 villages destroyed and half 
the population deported. And you know, Jacques, what I think is mm. astounding about that is that three years after the end of World War Two. Yeah, I know. Incredible. Unbelievable. And it was 700,000 people being basically removed into uh, concentration camps. Oh. And even though a UN resolution stipulated that these people were to be allowed to return, most are still living in the camps. Mm. Then came 1967, the Six-Day War, which added more territory to the Israeli state, including the Gaza Strip. And the ongoing policy remained colonial, with as few as possible Palestinian, Palestinians in as large as possible annexed territory. Ah, the ongoing colonial project. Absolutely. The shrinking territory of Palestinian land over time is clearly documented on the maps we often can have a look at. Uh, Gaza seems to have become the last step in a colonial settler plan, as being confirmed by statements of Netanyahu and other ministers. Yeah, and, and all of this with the blatant military and ideological support of imperial power, the United States. Exactly whose current president, Biden, has stated pretty blatantly where his and the US's sympathies lie. So to quote um, from 2015, were there no Israel, America would have to invent one. We'd have to invent one because you protect our interests, speaking to Israel, like we protect yours. And um, in the same speech in 2015, which was at the annual Israeli Independence Day celebration, Biden said, quote, The truth of the matter is we need you. The world needs you. Of course, talking to Israel still. Imagine what it would say about humanity and the future of the 21st century if Israel were not sustained, vibrant and free. Uh, unquote. And what a lot of guff. And I, um, I draw these quotes from an article, uh, and we'll put this in other references on our program page, but I draw these quotes from an article by Chris Hedges titled The Four Horsemen of Gaza's Apocalypse. And this, this is how he opens the article, and this is worth quoting too. Joe Biden's inner circle of strategists for the Middle East have little understanding of the Muslim world and a deep animus towards Islamic resistance movements. They see Europe, the United States and Israel as involved in a clash of civilizations between the enlightened West and a barbaric Middle East. They believe that violence can bend Palestinians and other Arabs to their will. They champion the overwhelming firepower of the US and Israeli military as the key to regional stability an illusion that fuels the flames of regional war and perpetuates the genocide in Gaza, unquote. <laughs> so, so, so there we have, it's pretty strong, but we ha also note the embedded racism used to justify the colonial project um, with the idea of an enlightened West um, um, taking control over barbaric yes. Middle East. Yeah, and that control, for example, is uh, now clearly uh, a military kind of, a, of a, an adventure with 50, 55,000 American soldiers in the area. Oh. 
anyway, but workshop. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I know we could go on. We'll That's have to right. leave it there for now, even mm-hmm. though we do have a lot more to say on this topic. Yeah, so next week we'll look at calls by the US to uphold the international rules-based order, while at the same time actively undermining the role of the United Nations in creating and maintaining such an order. So... On to more peaceful things. Uh, uh, Some announcements. Uh, We are very much participating in the uh, Sustainable Living Festival next month. And then we'll start again our monthly talks about alternative economics. At Borderlands. Uh, Borderlands. Just go to our website, which is meanwhile almost totally reconfigured uh, to find the dates. And otherwise, give us a call. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us any comments about today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. As always, our past programs are available by podcast on a variety of platforms and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. So fast, Jacques. That's great. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.